When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. Visit your local Isuzu dealer today on SENWA. Live from the Toolkit Depot studio. This is Mornings with Mark Duffield. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. And I'm very glad to be inside the Toolkit Depot studio here at Optus Stadium today. Perth's weather is heating up. 40-plus temperatures yesterday, expected again today. High 30s tomorrow. So get yourself dialed into SEN, either on the app or on 657am, and uh, get yourself inside in the air conditioning or at least in the shade Keep listening to the show, or better still, get involved in the show. You can text in on 0487 736 736, or we'd love to hear from you on the Bower and O'Day open line on 13 12 55. Bower and O'Day, because the little things are everything. Well, it was a hot weekend too, and the Australian women's cricketers were way too hot for South Africa. Darcy Brown's first innings fast bowling, Annabelle Sutherland's brilliant double century, turned the test match at the Wacker into a cakewalk over in three days with the Aussies winning by an innings and 284 runs. Of course, down in Hobart, the West Australian Sheffield Shield team in a must-win clash against Tasmania. West Australia currently third on the Shield table. Massive run chase underway on the final day. WA needs a further 434 runs to win. At the moment, Cameron Bancroft in on seven. Sam Whiteman in on eight. Of course, they have a stacked batting lineup in this game. Cam Green's playing. Aaron Hardy is playing. Let's see if they can get anywhere near that. The Tasmanians, though, did get away from them a little bit in their second innings. Great uh, knock there by um, Jacob... Caleb Jewell, sorry, Caleb Jewell, uh, a, a great double century to him. And we're going to have some cricket on the show later today, later this morning. We've got young Aussie under-19s World Cup hero, Marley Beardman. He was the man of the match in the final win over India. He took three for 15 in that match in South Africa. Yet another promising young WA quick for us to watch in the coming years. Marley will be joining us in the second hour of the show. Footy is heating up too. Fremantle held match simulation at Coburn on Friday and things got pretty spirited with a number of vigorous and even angry exchanges between players. 
fair to say competition is pretty fierce for spots in several areas of the ground at Frio and particularly around the midfield. And of course, the Dockers have also signed former Essendon rookie Patrick Voss after his impressive season at the club and will be interesting to see what that means for the forward structure uh, in the coming season. We're going to be talking to Eliza Riley about that. She covers Fremantle for Code Sports. She would have been at that match simulation on Friday, so we'll get her thoughts on things. I was at West Coast on Saturday. There were fewer angry exchanges, but there was at least one and possibly as many as three injuries coming out of the game. Of course, it's well-known. Clay Hall got his left leg jammed under Elliot Yo in a fierce second-quarter tackle. And we'll know more about the severity of that in the next day or so. Jeremy McGovern didn't play much after halftime, was said by club officials to be sore. They're hoping it is nothing major or hopefully nothing at all, but we'll know more about that probably later today. And young defender Harry Edwards required treatment uh, on a finger injury early in the game. Now, if McGovern is injured and uh, struggling to get to round one. Of course, Harry Edwards would be one of the leading contenders for that spot. So West Coast will be anxiously trying to find out uh, what that means. The Eagles have said they're training harder for in-season durability and they will cop a few season, a few pre-season injuries if that's what it takes. But these are very anxious times for coaches in the run into round one. So the first inter-club match between West Coast and Fremantle is only days away now on Saturday. So what do we know so far? What do you think of your club's summer so far? We'll have more questions and answers about our teams at this time of year. But thanks to Izuzu, and you can live your own way in the seven-seater Izuzu MUX, you have four observations to ponder while you four-wheel drive yourself to work today, hopefully with the air conditioning on, about our two teams and their upcoming Seasons, And I mentioned at the top of the show, you can share your thoughts with us on the text line 0487 736 736 or give us a call on the Bower and O'Day open line on 13 12 55. Observation one about Fremantle, the midfield. If Nathan Fife is back and healthy and if Hayden Young is going to play in the midfield and not at halfback, the Dockers selectors have some difficult, good difficult, selection meetings ahead of them before round one. Fife and Young would join Caleb Sarong and Andy Brayshaw in the midfield mix. And then you've got Will Brody, who was a star in match simulation last week. And you've got to figure out what to do with Jaeger O'Meara and young midfielders Matt Johnson and Neil Erasmus because the youngsters are going to need to play at some point somewhere. Dockers fans, what is your first choice midfield for 2024? Who has to play somewhere else and who doesn't get to play at all? Observation two. Does the SSP signing of forward Patrick Voss change Fremantle's attacking structure? Voss has performed impressively in match simulation in recent weeks. He he absolutely deserved his spot on the list. I know more than a few people at Essendon were disappointed that the Bombers let him go. They thought they should have given him another year to go round again. But in terms of how the Dockers structure their attack, what does it mean? Before Voss's signing, we would have thought that Jai Amis spearheads the attack with Luke Jackson playing the forward ruck role alongside Amis and Josh Tracy, the third forward. At this stage, Matt Taberner looks to be outside the best team trying to fight his way in. Amis and Jackson, you would think, will play. Is Voss, based on pre-season form, ahead of Taberner and any threat to Tracy's spot 
in the team. Observation three on West Coast. I got my first extended look at Harley Reid in match simulation at the weekend. You couldn't help but be impressed by what we saw. One of his first touches was a brilliant square-up kick back into the corridor off the outside of his foot to find Jamie Cripps and led to the veteran forward's third goal in about six minutes at the start of the game. There was a terrific release handball that set Tyler Brockman off and running through the corridor later in the term. There was also the uh, ability to brush off the none-too-scrawny Ruben Jinby in a tackle before releasing to a teammate a bit later in the game. And there was a brilliant step out of traffic and into space before releasing a handball to a teammate in more space later in the game. So West Coast fans, what are your expectations on your number one draft pick in his first season of AFL football? If you watched the live stream of Saturday morning's match simulation or if you are one of the several thousand people at Mineral Resources Park and watched it live, what were your impressions of Reed, and what do you think he can do later this year? And observation four, the Eagles held a media briefing at Mineral Resources Park on Friday and at that briefing, Coach Adam Simpson declared his want for his team to focus on areas the team haven't been particularly good at over the last two years, and there's been a few of those areas, but most specifically, the contest. Simo wants them to win contested possession. He wants them to win clearances or at the very least narrow the gaping gap that has been evident in those areas in the last two seasons. And eventually, by winning those two stats or breaking even in them, Simo wants better field position, and he wants West Coast to play front-half footy. That is, getting the ball in deep and dangerous and either scoring or pressuring opposition defences into error and then scoring off turnover. It's a model most successful teams use. If you watched West Coast on the weekend, did you see evidence of the change in style and intent? Which players did you see or do you see bringing the heat that will help Simpson implement his plan? Elliot Yo permanently in the midfield, as we saw on the weekend, that would certainly help, and hopefully Elliot body will hold up. Matt Flynn looks like a physical ruckman, and uh, that ruck duo, Flynn and, of course, Bailey Williams, will be a key to how West Coast and how much they can improve in 2024. But what other players do you think can turn this around for the Eagles? You can give us your thoughts on the text line, 0487 736 736. Call us on the Bauer and O'Day open line on 13 12 55. Who has impressed you over summer at Fremantle or the Eagles? And what are your hopes for your team this year? This is Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. After the break, we'll be back to talk to Eliza Riley from Code Sports about what she saw at Fremantle's match simulation late last week. Back to the Toolkit Depot studio out here at Optus Stadium. We're sitting in the nice, cool, air-conditioned studio. It looks like it's going to be a lot hotter outside. If you want to join in the show, remember you can text in on the text line on 0487 736 736 or call us on the open line, the Bower and O'Day open line on 13 12 55. Bower and O'Day because the little things are everything. Well, we're in the run-in to the first inter-club practice match between West Coast and Fremantle is going to take place on Saturday at Mineral Resources Park. Eliza, 
Riley covers the Fremantle Dockers for Code Sports. She would have been at the match simulation last week when things got a bit heated, before the weather got a bit heated over the weekend. Eliza, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dolphin. Yeah, you know, Fremantle's in-house preparations are certainly complete, but it was far from a friendly last Friday <laughs> um, when they did this inter-club scratch match against each other. So tell us about what happened. Who Who tangled with who at the scratch match? Oh, it was pretty much like all over the ground. There was little spot fires breaking out. Um, the, the first one was sort of Caleb Sarong going head to head with uh, Hayden Young, who you know are both going to play in the midfield this year, and they did match up on each other for a large part of the sort of um, game to test each other in that midfield role, and they sort of were throwing a few jumper punches at each other before Sarong struck Hayden a bit high and um, drew a free kick in a 50-metre penalty and then remonstrated with Jordan Clark, who sprinted across from the wing to, to rip into Sarong after that. We had Nat Fife and Andrew Brayshaw get into a bit of a verbal altercation um, when Brayshaw felt he should have got a free kick for being hit a bit high. There was apologies later, but it was certainly um, a few expletives thrown around there. You had Matt Tabernacle and Jordan Clark sort of wrestling behind the ball and then Sean Darcy threw a big um, Ruckman's elbow back at Bailey Banfield as he was sort of pushing off the mark with the ball. So there was little spot fires everywhere and you wonder whether it was a directive from the coaches or whether the players sort of took it upon themselves to, to up the intensity so close to round one. Might just be indicative that there's a fair bit of comp- competition for spots, particularly in and around the midfield, Eliza. It's going to be pretty hard to get a Guernsey in there. From what you've seen over the summer so far, who gets in and who misses out, do you think? Yeah, it's going to be probably the most intriguing selection question of the Dockers face leading into round one because as you mentioned there's so many guys competing for spots in there I think the probably starting midfield we're, we're likely to see um, at the first centre bounce is going to be Andrew Brayshaw of course is Doig medalist AFLPA MVP from two years ago Caleb Sarong the reigning Doig medalist and Hayden Young I think that's probably going to be um, the preferred mix come round one of the season with Nat Fife coming off the bench, um, likely to be, you know, sort of coming into the rotation whenever the Dockers see fit, given the pre-season he's had now that he's fit and healthy and been injected back into that midfield in, in a full-time capacity. Then you've got guys like, you know, Jay Gomira, Matthew Johnson, Neil Erasmus, all fighting as well to, to get into that midfield. Will Brody, we know how excellent he was two seasons ago, but he seems like someone who... It's going to take an injury for him to find his spot back in the team. Whereas Matthew Johnson and Neil Erasmus, who I mentioned just before, the two sort of young up-and-coming stars, they're going to have to be versatile um, to find their way into this team. And I think Johnson ticks that box. We've seen him play a lot on the wing during that simulation in the past few weeks. So expect him to sort of line up on the wing and rotate through the inside midfield. Whereas Erasmus can sort of play forward as well um, and, of course, kick four goals to Subiaco in that famous Colts grand final a few years ago. So they're going to have to um, adapt and be versatile to find their place in this team. But I still think Johnson, from what we've seen, is probably slightly ahead of Erasmus at this stage. Is there any danger that someone like Jago Amira misses out altogether or do you think they find another use for him? 
I think there certainly is that danger, but how um, you know prevalent it is and what the Dockers coaching staff are thinking is going to be a big question they have to answer this weekend against West Coast. Um, Jager is someone who has played a bit forward in the past in his career and did it certainly towards the back end of his time at Hawthorne. So he can go forward and he does actually possess a lethal um, set shot. He's pretty darn accurate when he gets the chance to, to have a kick goal. And we did see him play on the wing a bit on the weekend as well. Um, but you just wonder with so many of these guys that we've been mentioning, their, their best role, their best position is inside midfield. How many of the Dockers can feasibly fit into the team whilst maintaining balance across all um, three lines? So the probably major injury concern heading into round one is going to be whether Brennan Cox is ready to play um, with his um, calf injury. What's your mail on his progress from that? Yeah, so Brennan, um, he hasn't played in any of the interclubs in the past couple of weeks since they sort of identified that, that stress reaction in his lower leg. Um, he was certainly out there on the weekend supporting his teammates and going into the huddles. Um, the Dockers say he's still on track for round one at this stage, but, you know, you can be on track for round one and sort of miss out on these crucial uh, practice match minutes, which can sort of curtail your process a bit and cause you to lose a bit of match fitness. So probably the Dockers would prefer to err on the side of caution if he is going to be a bit underdone going into round one. But the good thing is now they do have a bit of depth down there. They have Oscar McDonald, who of course is a seasoned AFL player, who can come in and um, fill that void if Brennan is um, doesn't make it in time for round one. And then also the younger guys and sort of Hugh Davies and Josh Draper um, who have looked, you know, shown glimpses um, across this pre-season. Who would you favour to be the second tall defender if Brennan Cox isn't available? I think it's still Oscar McDonald at this stage. Um, I mean, on the weekend, he, he teamed up with Alex Pierce in that um, white team forward line and they were given the rather daunting task of taking on Jaya Miss and Josh Tracy who kicked um, seven goals, no, eight goals between them on the weekend. Um, so it was a pretty lethal forward line. And even though, you know, they were sort of their direct opponents rotating between the two of them, it was hard to sort of put direct blame on either of them for the, the goals that those guys did sort of get on the board. So I think there's still... Oscar McDonald's probably getting the nod if it does come to that, um, just given his experience and his bigger frame. Now, a young bloke that's captured the imagination of a few down there in the match simulation is Cooper Simpson. Tell us about him and is he a realistic chance to play early in the season, do you think? Uh, well, we're calling him Super Cooper. That's the nickname <laughs> we've decided to give him based on some of the efforts he's um, produced this pre-season so far. He just, you know, there's young guys who sort of come in um, to AFL teams and need a bit of time to discover that positioning and adapting to the pace of AFL football, whereas he has not looked out of place. He's got this incredible game sense, um, which, you know, is sort of uh, akin to what we saw him do at underage level as that big Metro MVP in his top age year. Uh, he's always knows where to be. He's always there at the right time. Um, we know he did play mostly as a midfielder 
at the national carnivals and for Vic Metro, um, but he has been playing sort of off half forward for Fremantle and going into the midfield in bursts as well. So he's certainly one who's put his name firmly in contention um, for that vacated role that Lockie Schultz has left behind, especially given Sam Swakowski uh, seems to have appeared uh, to suffer another little nicking his hamstring in recent weeks and maybe racing the clock a little bit to be there for round one. So the um, small forward role is something he's shown he's very capable of playing and he's a one-touch footballer. He doesn't fumble. He's looked excellent so far and would not be surprised at all to see him there very early in the season. Tell us about Patrick Voss and what you've noted about him. And obviously we think, I guess, before the start of the summer, that the forward line structure would be Jai Amis, Luke Jackson as the forward ruck, and Josh Tracy as the third tall forward, with Matt Tabner able to put pressure on Tracy perhaps if he plays well enough. Is Patrick Voss a threat to that based on what you've seen over the preseason? Yeah, Pat Voss is obviously a great story um, to, you know, suffer that disappointment of being delisted by Essendon and you know, a few people sort of um, not quite comfortable perhaps with that decision to, to let a young key forward go, knowing they do sometimes take a bit more time than necessary. But he's been excellent since he came across to the Dockers, um, you know, the weekend before last in match simulation. He kicked 4-3, um, which is a remarkable result against, you know, going head-to-head with sort of Luke Ryan and some of the other key defenders on that list for Fremantle. And the thing that sort of um, stood out for him is his physicality. He's just so hard around the ball and sort of in that Tracy mould a little bit um, where he throws himself into packs and um, has actually worked really hard on his aerial game as well and taking those contested marks when they're on offer. So he was certainly um, probably the standout of the train-ons over summer and has been rewarded for that with a list spot at the Dockers. Um, as for where he sits in round one, I still probably think that the Dockers um, would prefer to stick with that sort of three-tall structure because you risk being a bit too cumbersome if you add any more into that. But based on what we've seen from him, he is someone who could certainly put pressure on as the season progresses. And there are a few areas of his game he does sort of need to clean up to be considered for that AFL chance. But he looks like someone who will go down to Peel Thunder to start the season and probably be one of their best players um, early on in the season. And when you're, when you're doing that and... You know, it's sort of what we saw from Josh Tracy a few years ago where he's sort of that level above the waffle. Then you're going to be putting your name in lights and it's going to be very hard to overlook you. So Lockie Schultz is gone. He was probably their best pressure forward. Who has taken it upon themselves from what you have seen uh, to to fill that gap? I think it's um, going to be a group effort up forward, but the ones who certainly appear to have... um, added that or enhance that in their game is the likes of Michael Frederick and, you know, Sonny Walters, who's been doing it for years, but, you know, he's certainly taken it upon himself in that leadership role to to step it up a notch. He's, you know, coming closer to the end of his career than the start, but Sonny is still that vocal leadership presence um, all around the ground and especially up forward. He laid a few really strong tackles on the weekend. And then Michael Frederick sort of in the same boat. We know he's got speed, but he hasn't necessarily used that um, to chase down tackle in the past. 
but he's someone on the weekend who didn't get a lot of the football, but some of his pressure acts were really, um, you know, sort of elite in that sense and a few strong run-down tackles. And Tom Emmett as well is one to throw into the mix. We know he plays a fairly similar style of football um, to Lucky Schultz in the sort of intensity and physicality and the way he goes about it. So certainly those three um, are sort of the ones putting their hands up so far. Eliza, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, obviously, we've got a game coming up between West Coast and Fremantle this weekend. We'll probably get a better gauge as to how they're shaping up for round one and what their best teams are likely to be. Thanks, Steph. Eliza Riley, you can read her stuff on Code Sports. She's a great young sports writer, and uh, uh, she will be covering Fremantle. Uh, that is her beat in the AFL for much of this season. If you're a Perth Wildcats fan, before we take the brace, break for Australia's biggest and best range of Wildcats merchandise, you can visit catsgear.com.au. This is Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. We'll be back after some news. And the third one I've gone um, way across to the west is Hayden Young. 57 games in. He's already a star. Is he? Is that, is that too easy for you? Uh, probably borderline. All right, well, I'll, 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 I'll go to another. If you don't like that, I'll go Miles Bergman is, <laughs> yeah, is the other one I had. I, I like, I like both, both, of them, of both of them 57 games. But like Both of them are halfbacks, but I think they'll become more. I think Bergman up on a wing. I think he's, um, he's like a Nick Haynes type that you know, can do it in the air and on the ground. But Young um, went into the midfield, tagged Lockie Neal for a half and had 18 touches and then faded. Yeah, has he prepared as a midfielder? I'd... I'd lo- I think Freo are going to have a really interesting year with where they go, but Hayden Young's a watch for me. Yes, Nathan Buckley and Kane Corns debating as to whether Hayden Young qualifies as a breakout player for the 2024 season. So I'm going <clears> to... <throat> I'll give Bucks half a tick and I'll give Kane half a tick for questioning. I think Hayden Young is already a very good player, but I also think Hayden Young has another level he can go to. It was interesting to hear Eliza Riley tell us that Hayden Young and Caleb Sarong were tangling in a fairly aggravated fashion at match simulation on the weekend because they would have come through the Vic Country system together. They've been teammates for a long time now, but I do think if you look at the sort of level that Hayden Young can get to, I think it's the sort of level that Caleb Sarong is at. And so I think Hayden Young still has that ahead of him. I think he's an exceptionally good player. I think he'll be exceptionally important to Fremantle, adding some size and grunt to their midfield mix. And uh, we're going to watch his progress very carefully this year because, as Bucks questioned, he definitely has been preparing to play in the midfield, whereas last year he was shifted in there, obviously, off a build-up off the half-back line. What do you think? 0487 736 736 is the text line or give us a call on the Barrandoe Day open line on 13 12 55. We'll be back with more after the break. Pull up his socks to the West Coast Eagles who turned up to their internal trial all wearing the most ridiculous outfits you have ever seen. So it's a takeoff of the NBA. It's a bit of fun. It's lighthearted. I get it. But there were players with overalls with nothing on underneath. There was players dressed as superheroes. There were suits with beanies. There were Hawaiian shirts. It was ridiculous. And for a club that has won five games in the last two years, I want a bit more professionalism. 
and an attitude that speaks to that. It's not Mad Monday. It's the first day of your season. And we don't need you dressing up like superheroes and being photographed and plastered all over social media. Let's you get that. serious. You hogged it. <laughs> Kane and Bucks again. <laughs> Paul Heath is with me in the yeah. studio. Uh, welcome back to the show, everybody. Uh, yes, Kane Corns and Nathan Buckley. Look, <laughs> I did see it. I wondered about it. Um, what I would say is that... Uh, and my good friend over about 35 years, Luke Morfess, once told me this saying. He says, when you're down the bottom of the AFL ladder, mm. you're like the sick chook in the chookyard. <laughs> okay. And, and everyone has a peck. Yeah. <laughs> so in other words, yeah. you can't really – you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. But yeah. probably in this instant, they would have been better if they didn't, I think. I, I tend to agree with Kane just because I think with everything that West Coast has to – turn around and deal with and improve this year. Maybe don't draw attention to things you don't need to be drawing attention mm. on. I understand what they're doing. They're trying to enjoy it. It's been a pretty rough couple of years. Uh, it would have been a pretty grim workplace, I'd imagine, over that couple of years. So they're trying to lighten it up. They're trying to get it to be a bit more fun. Um, I'm 60 years old, Heater, so I don't really <laughs> identify with that sort of thing. But this is how they roll these days. Yeah. So I'm not damningly critical of it, mm. I probably just wouldn't have done it. Yeah. Look, you've got a, a bunch of younger guys than they've had over the past couple of years, so you can see where the influence is coming from. I enjoyed the older guys getting involved as well, but I mean, what's wrong with a bit of unity? What's wrong with a bit of you know camaraderie being built? But you know, like if if twelve rounds through the year, Kane Corn says, "Oh, there's a bit of a disconnect at West Coast because they don't do something like this." What 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 are we what are we looking for then? Yeah, no, I I, I take uh, all that on board. It's an easy hit though, isn't it? It's it's a full toss on the leg side, just pop it over the boundary for six. Yeah, off your pads. Yeah, over the square leg. Don't mind if we do. Yep. Um, Two bounces over the road. <laughs> but I, I I think it's just a group trying to come together and you know build something. But um, you know I can see why you wouldn't want to pop your head up. With any of these well, sorts of things, you could say, "Well, it's a you know first major intra club match simulation. So why would you do it then? Mm. You probably argue you're better to do it then than before round one. <laughs> <laughs> if you do it before round one and you go out and get beaten by ten goals, it's not going to look nah, good. So it's not going to be guess, good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Graham from Padbury's texted in this morning with some thoughts about the Eagles preseason, uh, saying overall they look bigger and stronger as a group. I think you would uh, agree with that, Duff. Uh, the amount of contact work has significantly increased from prior years. Uh, liked what I've seen from Petrocelli, who could become an important burst player through the midfield. Hoff, Long, Brockman have all impressed. Allen and Duggan quietly putting together a solid preseason season and are settling into the captaincy nicely and Dua uh, showing some nice signs too as a young player. I think it's Dewa. Dewa. I would have said Dua. Even better. I had um, schoolmates at school who was whose names were spelled like that and they were Dua, but I, mm. think, I think it's Dewa. Dewa. Um, yes, so I've been having a bit of an argument um, with one of the scouts about Dewa and after he, he did a nice move on um, the weekend where he outmarked Andrew Gaff and then ducked back inside and mm. spotted up a player inside the corridor. And I got a text message 30 seconds later from the scout that I've been having it about. Yeah. He says, see, that's what he can do. And uh, so they see something in him. He's a long-term project. He's very light. 
Um, but yeah, there was definitely some some glimpses there on the weekend, and he seems to have progressed over the summer, and that's great. He was a bit part player in the Waffle team last year. You'd like him to be a prominent player in the Waffle team this year and starting to mount a case that he could be uh, an AFL player. So, yeah, I have no issue with that. I think Petricelli's another good observation. Mm. Um, Petricelli's had a good the, – the two match simulations that I've seen, Petricelli has played well in both of them. Mm. Um, it's not often that a player will get as far down the track in his career as Jack Petricelli and suddenly find his feet yeah. and go to another level, but occasionally it does happen. Occasionally – they learn about the craft enough to be able to take a step forward. He needs to. You know, it's time to. He's got mm. great speed. Um, when the game falls for him, he can be very effective, but he needs to understand how to be involved in the game and how to contribute in the game when it's not falling for him. So um, I think that's a pretty good observation. What else stood out for you at the scratch match over the weekend? Oh, Harley Reid was hard to go past. He's yep. a very good player. Yeah. The only thing I would say about Harley Reid, and this is not about the play he's going to become eventually, it's just to urge West Coast fans to understand what his first year is going to look like. Now, there's going to be a lot of comparisons with Nick Dacos because Nick Dacos came in two years ago, mm. was an instant star, and everyone's thinking, um, you know, basically, yep. if Harley Reid's as good as any number one draft pick they've had in 10 years, mm. why wouldn't Harley Reid be as good as Nick Dacos? Mm, Nick there. Dacos is a ball user. Yeah. So Collingwood were able to identify that Nick Dacos was – um, someone who would be good for them to have the ball in his hands. Mm. They got the ball to him. Good things happened. So they did it more and more and more. And Nick Dacos's career took off exponentially from, from day one. Harley Reid, watching him on Saturday, will be a ball winner. Mm. And he'll want to be around the contest and he gets drawn into the contest, which is great. Mm. And eventually that will be a big plus for West Coast because he's got the class to navigate traffic and get out. But it's still an 18-year-old body up against 23 to 27-year-old bodies in there, which is going to be difficult. And that it may be that his effect in that area in his first year is less, um, but later on it will be a, a big plus. Mm. And uh, Merv from Allenbrook yep. texting to say he knows the Dewar family and says it's not Dewa, it's Dewa. There you go. Well, how's that for live radio? They uh, thanks, Merv. Correction in real time. I'm, I've fallen for the old. <laughs> I've fallen for the old trap of listening to what the players call him a train. Yeah. They, they've looked at the spelling and decided to do it phonetically. They yeah. do call him Dewar a bit, so it's Dewar. Don't okay. let uh, Kane hear that. He might uh, be onto that one as well. Uh, Bailey Williams signed a two-year contract extension uh, the end of last week. Uh, is that? A bit, not odd, I would say, but with Flynn coming in, the potential of Tim English at another point, is that more looking to use him as a forward ruck rather than a ruck forward? Or I think it's important. Look, I, I like the look of Matt Flynn. I think he's physical. That'll help them around stoppage. Mm. But I think it's important to understand what he is. He's a stopgap ruckman. Yep. Um, Bailey Williams remains a project. They think he's going to be a forward ruckman. Um, so therefore, if there's a number one ruckman in place, he'll add value down in attack mm. and taking a run on the ball to give the number one ruckman a spell. He'll be able to do that for Matt Flynn this year. I'd be very surprised if um, if Tim English came into the club 
that's a big if. I mean, Tim English, you know, they've got to lure Tim English. Mm. He's got to want to come home. Um, the deal's got to be right. And and they need to show some pro progress mm. as well. Yeah. And did he – was Bailey Williams in the ruck in the intra-club match or was he playing more forward? Um, no, their, their structure is definitely um, – uh, it's going to be Matt Flynn ruck. Yep. Bailey Williams forward ruck mm. taking a run on the ball. That's, yep. I mean, Adam Simpson doesn't make any secret of the fact that he likes to play in at least part of his match simulations. He likes to play probables versus possibles, and he likes to structure up pretty much yep. as he sees his round one team structuring up. The two match simulations I've seen, that's been the structure in both of those. So, yeah, that's how I would expect it to roll. Um, another text in, correcting. We, we have a bad day today. Graham from Padbury. The dress-up by the Eagles wasn't the day of the intra-club. It was the day before. It's a pity that people go off half-cocked and make mountains out of molehills not directed at you to generate clicks. Oh, well, we've uh, done it again. Yeah, two, two, <laughs> two Kane, in the morning. Kane, put your helmet on. <laughs> you know, I suspect if, we, um, if it wasn't directed at us, it was directed at you, Kane. Uh, Eliza gave the starting middle four for the Dockers, who's going to be starting, in your mind, for the Eagles in the centre square. So Flynn, um, Yo. Flynn, Yo, Kelly, and if we go on the weekend, uh, Harley Reid okay. was in at the first bounce. Yeah. But then at the middle point of the first quarter, went behind the ball. Mm. Um, so I'd say that's the way they'll start. Yep. Um, if they're going up against a, 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 a set of really big bodies, it might be uh, Yo, Kelly, and... Liam Duggan, mm. but I would say based on what we saw on the weekend, yeah, um, Harley Reid might be in at a few first bounces. That's uh, that's something to watch, that's for sure. Greg from Les Murdy, before we take a break, Duff, do you think Will Brody deserves another shot, maybe even in another position? He hasn't played for the Dockers since round seven last year, and uh, we're looking into it. It was 24 possession, 26 possession on the way out the door. Yeah, so there's other things to Will's game, obviously, that they feel doesn't fit the way they want to play. Mm. And that could be the way he spreads offensively. It could be the way he covers defensively. It could be a mix of both. But I think it's to do with the spread as opposed to anything he's doing on the inside. Mm. Um, They probably saw him as a big body. And when they got pushed around and they looked too little and too young in the early games last year, that probably counted against Will. Mm. Will... Probably needs to get pretty physical, I reckon. Mm. And he needs to be a big body, prepared to bump and grind in there, prepared to knock blokes over, knock them out of the way, make life a little bit easier for the smaller players like Sarong and Brayshaw and the younger mids like Matt Johnson and Neil Erasmus. Mm. If he does that, I reckon he's a chance. But I reckon if you did a pecking order right now, I reckon he's a lot closer to the bottom than the top. I mean... Fife's going to play, Sarong's going to play, Brayshaw's going to play, Young's going to play in the middle. They have to work out what to do with O'Meara, mm. not overly sure. And I think they need to play Johnson and Erasmus more times than mm. they don't play them. I think Johnson plays on a wing, may go into the middle. They need to find a role for Erasmus. It doesn't leave a lot of room for Will Brody. Yeah. What do you think, people? You can have your say on the text line, 0487 736 736. Love to hear, you, uh, hear from you on the Bauer and O'Day open line on 13 12 55. Bauer and O'Day, because the little things are everything. This is Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. Welcome back to the show out here at the Toolkit Depot studio at Optus Stadium. It's getting sunnier and hotter outside as we speak. Had a big first hour of the show. We had Eliza Riley on from Code Sport. She talked about the uh, argy-bargy at Fremantle's last match simulation late last week. Do you like that? Oh, 
I don't know. It's competition for spots, right? It's not. Yeah, but competition for spots. Bang! Look, <laughs> it's a bit like the dress up at West Coast. Clubs do a lot of things trying to generate intensity and spirit yeah. and unity. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Put your head over the ball, maybe. Just, yeah. But that's as I said before. <laughs> I'm 60 years old, yep. Peter. They, it's, a, it's a different generation to me. Yeah. I don't understand everything that goes on. I, I don't pretend to. Goffey from Bedford sort of saying that morning, Duff, what do you prefer the Eagles do? Walk in sad with their heads down and defeated. They do this for unity, and I'm here for it. Good point, Goffey. Thank uh, you very much. Well, I don't think I said they need to walk in with their heads <laughs> down sad and defeated. Uh, they haven't got anything to be sad about just yet, have they? No, they haven't. It's going to be a big second hour on the show. We're going to talk to Marley Beardman. The young bloke who was the hero of Australia's ICC World Cup win, the under-19 win in South Africa. And we'll also have Ben Smith from the West Australian on talking about the sale of Perth glory to businessman Ross Pelligra. We'll be back after the news with another hour of Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. Well, it's been a big couple of weeks for the Perth Glory, of course. They've faced an uncertain future for quite some time, but that's been resolved now. Victorian businessman Ross Poligra has bought the club. Ben Smith does a great job writing both soccer and rugby for the West Australian newspaper. He joins us on the show to tell us what it all means. Welcome, Ben. Good morning, Duff. Thank you for having me once again. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show, mate. So tell us, who is Ross Poligra and what does him buying the Perth glory mean? Well, Ross Poligra is a Melbourne-based property developer. He is a, uh, you know, a very, he's got very deep pockets, as one would need to acquire any sort of sports team. He's got multiple sports teams already in his portfolio. Um, he owns you know, ice hockey teams in Adelaide and Canberra. I believe he owns the Adelaide Giants baseball team as well. Um, he owns most uh, famously and most prominently Catania. In, uh, it's, it's Italy's Serie C, so they play in the, uh, the third division of Italy's football. But um, they're enjoying a bit of a renaissance under, under Ross Poligra. Uh, he joined forces with uh, former soccerers Vince Grella and Marco Bresciano to help restore Catania, where he has, uh, you know, uh, blood and roots in that city. Uh, he uh, yeah, He's helped them kind of, you know, start to climb up the table and really reinvigorated the team over in Catania. So um, it bodes very promisingly for the glory that he's involved. His arrival represents hope. It's something that, you know, it, as we know, hope in sports is such a powerful tool and, you know, his arrival really brings that in spades. Um, you know, there is a fresh kind of wave of enthusiasm. And, you know, I was at the game on Saturday night and there was a, you know, a different atmosphere in the air. You know, obviously Ross was in the crowd on Saturday uh, and, you know, you could tell there was a, a bit of a buzz around the stadium. It was, it was a great game. Glory got the win, 3-2 over Brisbane. And you know, Alan Stadich post-game uh, said that that was the loudest he heard of the Glory fans. So it's... Uh, they're already having a bit of a knock-on effect on the on the Glory faithful. So what sort of crowd did they have there on Saturday and what might they expect this weekend? Well, they had a touch under 7,000, which, you know, when you compare to the... When you look across their history, that's definitely on the lower end. Um, I think it was one of the, still one of their bigger crowds of the season. And I think that kind of just speaks to the state the Glory had been in before Ross uh, has arrived. And to, to an extent, they're still in because he hasn't fully kind of... Uh, no, he's assumed control of the team. There's still a lot of work needing to be done. Uh, they, you know, 
It's been a really tough, you know, couple of years for Glory with, you know, COVID blowing a hole in the club's finances, Tony Sage having to hand back the licence. Crowds have dwindled. Uh, there's been a lack of success on field, uh, a lack of, uh, maybe a lack of engagement at times off field, a lack of connection. Uh, these are all things that Ross Bligger has come out openly and said he wants to, you know, tackle head on. And, uh, you know, if they face Wellington on uh, Saturday night, it's going to be a pretty tough uh, match up, not just on pitch uh, with the Phoenix in top spot, but off the pitch as well. They're going up, up against the WWE's Elimination Chamber, which is on at the same time. But Caligra uh, at his introductory press conference yesterday said he was, uh, after watching the, uh, you know, the fervent support, uh, you know, support from some of the club's uh, younger members on Saturday night, he said that every the first 3,000 uh Kids under 16 will go for free. So if you're uh, if you're under 16 years old and you want to go see the Glory on Saturday night, um, you know, get in early and Ross Pelliger will personally pay for your ticket. So he did say there's going to be a strong community slant to how he's going to go about this, and and you uh, wrote that in the West Australian late last week. So what? How does that manifest? Like how does that um, uh, I guess eventuate in real terms? I think they need a much stronger presence and connection and two-way kind of line of communication with grassroots. So when I was growing up uh, you know, in Perth, uh, they had, the Glory had this thing called the Glory Zone, which was basically a, you know, a training program. You know, it was probably, you know, you did two, maybe 10-week blocks a year. It was, uh, Glory had accredited coaches running it, the, big, the occasional Perth Glory player. At, uh, at a training clinic. Uh, it was really popular for a long time. Um, you know, it was basically you got, you know, the kids of the state got high-class coaching from, you know, glory-affiliated uh, junior coaches uh, in a, you know, training environment. It was really good. Um, and that, uh, they shut that down a while ago. And I think, you know, that along with other things, they kind of lost their way in the community. They, one of the biggest things uh, over the last decade or so was they established a, a local team in the you know the local MPLWA competition, which meant they were on a positive note for the glory. It meant they were able to play some of the best young players uh, in the top level of the men's state league competition, which obviously gave them a bit of a grounding against uh, grown men. But in order to have an MPL license, they had to have junior teams all the way from under 12 upwards to like under 18s and. I remember former Glory CEO Tony Pagata saying it's really hard to convince people to come and watch the Glory on a Sunday when uh, we've beaten them 6-0 in under-15s on a Saturday. So there's been a bit of a disconnect and a disconnect, uh, discontent from local teams towards the Glory who have kind of maybe moved in on their turf a bit, they feel, and taken up some of, the, some of their best players at, at junior level. Um, and, you know, to his credit, I think Anthony Radich, the current uh, local CEO, he has been, he's acutely aware of this. And I think he has, you know, started to re-establish a bit of trust at community level. But it's definitely going to be something that Ross Poligra, I think, looks at and kind of thinks, how can we make it that we're not competing against these uh, these kids on a weekend? But we want to welcome them into the club. We want to make them feel like the club is theirs um, and get them coming through the gates every week. 
What is this squad capable of? I, I take my hat off to this glory squad to play under the circumstances that they've played under for much of this season with uncertainty as to who's going to own them um, and that sort of thing. It must have been incredibly hard to maintain spirit and direction. Now that they have that, what is this squad capable of and what do they need to to significantly climb the ladder? Well, you, you kind of nailed it, Duff. You know, they, as you say... They have experienced so much turmoil off-field this season. You know, there's, uh, you know, they couldn't really bring people in in the off-season because of, uh, you know, the, the league was controlling the club. They didn't have the money. They had to resort to, you know, free agent signings where they could. Uh, but, you know, they've, you know, over the last kind of couple of months or so, unable to strengthen in the January transfer market. Uh, obviously, Oli Bazanich was on loan to the club. Uh, was that uh, they couldn't extend his loan after they were led to believe by the league and the receivers that that would be okay. Uh, they had to sit, uh, loan Bloom Khalifi to Mel Victory, which the club did not want to do. Uh, they were, you know, they say they were at the time they were pushed by the APL to do it to free up some money off the books. And yeah, you know, they've had a they had a pretty slow start to the season as well. Um, you know, they uh, you know the, the first seven eight weeks, I think they. They looked noticeably like one of the weaker teams in the league, but over the last two months they've really righted ship. They are now, you know, I've, I've seen people call them the most fun team in the league. Uh, they're scoring for fun. You know, I think defence is an area they need to work on if they want to make finals because they're shipping one or two goals every week at the moment, and that's not going to be uh, conducive to rocketing up the ladder. But with the form of Adam Taggart and Stefan Kolakowski in the final third. Both of them have really good seasons. Adam Taggart notched his 11th and 12th goals on the weekend. Uh, I think he should be back in contention for a Socceroos place. He's been phenomenal this season. Um, yeah, you know, there's a lot of, and there's some injection of local young talent as well. Daniel Benny's 17 years old. He's played most games this season. Over the last month or so, he's really found his feet and he's starting to show like, why he's such a uh, you know, hot prospect. And Joel and Asmo, you know, coming off the bench, two home games in a row and completely changing the game. He's only 19. It's, uh, yeah, it's been, you know, the home games have been chaotic, but, in a, you know, in a good way. I'm sure they haven't done much for uh, Alan Stavish's heart rate, but the fans are getting banged for buck. And the more of these fun games that they kind of put together, the more wins they put together, the home crowd's going to, Returns. If there's anything we know about WA Duff, it's that you know the people love a winner. They do. We're not quite bandwagon jumpers, but I think everyone likes a winner. Um, I remember Glory with you know coaches like Bern Stunger. Um, attracting crowds of 17,000 to um, what was then Perth Oval, um, obviously HBF Park now. Is that is that within reach? Are we capable of getting back to that sort of level, do you think? I think so. I think the club, for even before you know Ross Poligra came on board, I think Anthony Radich firmly believed that that was, uh, you know, they were capable of that. I mean, even going back to 2019, when the Glory made the grand final, they got 59,000 people or 58,000 people to Optus Stadium. So the base, there is a, there is a supporter base to draw upon. It's just consolidating that base and raising the average attendance. Um, you know, and winning goes a long way to doing that. Obviously, you know, it's not the be all and end all. And I think the the club are going to be very will be very wise to heavily target grassroots football as a way to you know to connect with the younger generation. Because if you bring in the younger generation, then they're going to bring mum and dad along for the ride as well. 
Uh, I, th- I firmly believe that, you know, the club can get to a spot where they're bringing 15,000 people through the gates again. That'd be I've fa- seen it happen before. And I know it can happen again. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. I think they were a great addition to the WA sporting landscape back in those days. They still are, but I think there's a lot of upside with Perth Glory. Hey, Western Force kick off their season this week. What do we expect from them reasonably this season? I think around the Force, there's a very good uh, positivity and a good vibe. Um, They've had their their second full pre-season under Simon Cron, who has recently just extended his contract until uh, the end of the 2026 Super Rugby season. And uh, it it feels like they're a club on the up. They've recruited very heavily during the off-season. They kept a lot of, you know, pretty much everyone they wanted to keep uh, in the off-season too. So they're going to be, I think, fairly strong. They finished 10th last season. I think I don't think top you know six or sevens is uh, you know definitely within their their wheelhouse. When you look at you know how they performed in preseason, they had a good win over Reds and uh, pushed the Brumbies, who were the best Australian team in the competition, all the way last uh, weekend. There's yeah, there's a, it, you know you speak to anyone involved with the force, and you know they are very confident of uh, of a good season and. Um, They've been pretty blunt as well. Like, um, you know, speaking to certain players, you know, Ben Donaldson, the Wallabies fly half has come in. Now he says that Simon Cron wants them to target winning the, winning the whole thing. And you know, some people might snigger at that and laugh and say, well, you know, that's not going to happen. But you've got to aim high, haven't you? And you know, if you set your, if you set the target so high, you know, that means that you know, from a squad point of view, there's a mentality that you know that's where we're heading, and you know. That we have to work so, so hard to get there. Um, but you know, even if you fall just short, you know, even if you finish third or fourth, that's still you know more than acceptable and very admirable performance. So I think the psychology and you know uh, confidence around the squad is really high coming into this season. Yep, aim for the moon, and if you miss, you're still out amongst the stars. That's a, a, a good saying to live by. Ben, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Look forward to reading your stuff uh, about both soccer and rugby. I believe you've got to put your sunscreen on and head out to West Coast training now, so stay in the shade, mate, if you can. And, uh, <laughs> and we look forward to seeing um, both the rugby union team and obviously our local football team, West um, Perth Glory, climb the ladder in the near future. Thanks for joining us. No worries, Duff. Thanks for having me. That is the West Australian's Ben Smith. Great young sports writer. Does a great job covering the glory and the force, um, as well as doing bits and pieces in other sports as well. Uh, Get onto his stuff at the West Australian. We'll take a break and be back with more of the show after the break. If you want to have your say, you can text us on the text line. That is 0487 736 736. Or give us a call on the Bower and O'Day open line on 13 12 55. Bower and O'Day, because the little things are everything. Welcome back to the show out here at the Toolkit Depot studio at Optus Stadium. If you want to have your say on anything we've talked about on the show or any issue you want to raise in sport, you can text us on the 0487 736 736. We'd also love to hear from you on the Bower and O'Day open line on 13 12 55. Bower and O'Day, because the little things are everything. Well, our next guest has had a big couple of weeks. It's Marley Beardman, the young quick from WA, plays for Melville. He comes from the Pilbara. He was the man of the match 
in the ICC Under-19 World Cup final when Australia beat India over there in South Africa. Marley, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Mark. Thank you for having me. So, mate, it must have been quite an experience over there in South Africa. Tell us about it. It was an unbelievable experience. I mean, it was quite a long tournament, to be honest. It was uh, closer to five weeks, I think, in the end. So the back end was starting to get pretty tough. But I think it was such an amazing group. And, uh, yeah, not the result we were, we were expecting. But I think, yeah, got it done in the end. And uh, so grateful and so thankful for that. And to play well in the final, three for 15, player of the match. Um, how does that feel? Yeah, it feels amazing. I mean, means a lot. I think the our bowling group throughout the whole tournament was uh, one of our strong suits, and uh, I don't think that was any different in the final. So I was just grateful it was me this time to be able to help out. But I think all of the quicks along the whole tournament were amazing. So you said it wasn't what was expected. Who did you think was the team to beat in the World Cup? Um, I think you always knew that we were going to be a strong team. I think when we went over to England, we played some really good cricket. We always knew that we were in contention, but you're always just a little bit a little bit on the more cautious side about those other teams, especially the subcontinental teams. I think we hadn't seen a lot of them and what they had to offer. So we played India in a warm-up match, and uh, they were pretty strong. And then we had Bangladesh in a warm-up match that were also very strong. So we were a little bit worried about how we were going to go about it, but I don't think there was any doubt there. I think it was just more of a shock and uh, that it hadn't fully set in yet once we got it done. But I think there was a lot of strong teams. It was just those subcontinental teams that we had a little bit of trouble with early on, finding a bit of research and stuff on. But in the end, I think we just adapted pretty well and overcame on the spot, which was uh, a testament to our coaches and all the boys. We always get very excited when we hear about a young quick coming through, Marley. So how quick are you? <laughs> um, speed gun-wise, I haven't been clocked in a little while, but uh, normally for my faster balls, I hover around that low to mid-140s area. Woohoo! So <laughs> we like that. Uh, push that a little bit. <laughs> Um, now, you've had some help coming through the system, obviously. Dennis Lilly, one of your mentors, tell us about how you were hooked up with him. Um, I grew up in the southwest, so I grew up in a little town called Kawaramup for 80% of my childhood. Um, and I was bowling, it's quite a long story, but I was bowling at a bin down the side of a house at a family friend's house called Max Montgomery. Um, and I was peppering his bin down the side of the house, and he was very good mates with Rod Duggan, and he saw me bowl and said a word to Rod, and uh, Rod and Dennis were super close with each other, so they organised for me to tee up. I would have been about 14 when they first spotted me, so they organised for me to tee up, but Dennis refused to work with uh, with anyone until they were 15, 16 normally, maybe even a little bit older, once they developed a bit more and a bit more mature, so we waited, waited a little bit, ended up finally getting a session, I reckon I would have been about uh, 15 in the South Perth Nets um, and just got along really well with Dennis. I think he's been an amazing mentor for me. And then from there, I've just done a session every, I'd say, two or three months just checking up and I speak on the phone with him often. So he's been an amazing mentor. So obviously Dennis was a great technician and also a great thinker when he was uh, bowling in test matches for Australia. What's been the biggest thing? Is it the, the techniques that he's taught you or the ability to think like a great fast bowler? I think a little bit of both, to be honest. I think you have to be in good positions to be able to bowl well for long periods of time. So I think the technique is super important, but I think majority of sports play between the ears. So a lot of it was mental, and I've uh, done a lot of work with Dennis just on field settings and game plans and mental up, 
figuring out how to work over a batsman properly and not just running in and bowling the ball. So I think a lot of it has been mental, but I think also that technical aspect is very important. One of the interesting parts of your story is also you arrived in Perth for grey cricket via the Pilbara. Tell us about that. You've been up at Dampier, is that right? Yeah, I spent wasn't very long in Dampier. I spent uh, about two years up there. So uh, we moved up from Kawaram up after mum and dad lived down there for about 15 years and I was down there for about 10 years. So uh, grew up there and then moved up to Dampier for two years and went to Dampier Primary School. Um, and that's where I got identified by the whacker. They had a country pathway. They had Yob Van Bunge and uh, Hazy at the time, who are two great men helped me a lot and um, I got identified at the nets there running in and bowling and Yob got a hold of me and uh, Hazy got a hold of me and then decided that I was going to try and go somewhere with cricket. Um, I wasn't too sure still. I still love my footy and still love diving and everything and I was very young so I wasn't too sure what I wanted to do but yeah, it came down to Perth um, and I think I had an under-13s, under-14s carnival um, at the Wacker and uh, yeah, David Fitzgerald and Yob and Hazy were alongside me working very well and um yeah just said that I had a little bit of skill so I was very raw though had no technique and just love bowling fast and trying to run in and send them down as quick as I can so it was very raw but they've invested a lot of time into me through the pathway so I've been very grateful for that. You also got to train with the Australian test team when they were in Perth last year to play the West Indies in a test match how valuable was that? Yeah I think any time you get exposure to that sort of level it's uh invaluable so it was amazing being around that group and around those boys and they're super welcoming and super nice, which I think caught me by surprise a little bit. I didn't think there was going to be much acknowledgement there because they're such large names in cricket. But, no, nah, they're unbelievable. I think I learned I was standing behind in the centre wicket watching uh, Paddy Bowl and Starkey and Hoff and all those boys bowl and uh, just picking up on little things and peppering them with questions, asking how they're doing this on the crease or what they're doing with their action here and there. So I think I picked up, yeah. A load of knowledge from that, and that was an invaluable experience for me. Is there any one of them you try to model yourself on more than the others? You look a little bit like Pat Cummins watching your highlights from the World Cup. Yeah, Pat's definitely definitely one of my biggest role models, I'd say. I think I bowled a lot of first change a lot in uh, in the World Cup, which was a little bit of a change-up for me. So I went back through a lot of highlights of Paddy and watched how he constructs his overs and how he constructs his spells, and uh, took a lot of inspiration off that. And... Uh, yeah, I think I'd say Pat, especially working alongside Dennis, I've heard numerous things through Dennis of how amazing he is and how hard he works. So I think there's a lot of aspects of Pat that I try and apply into my own game. Now, you're playing grade cricket for Melville in Perth. How's that been for you? Um, the season hasn't been great for us. It's been a pretty rough season, I think. Having a, I think we've got one win now for the season, which is uh, not great. But, um, yeah, it's okay. It's, it's a lovely club and there's a, a really good culture there. It's a good group of boys. I think we're quite a young team. Got five or six really, really good young players. So I think it's going to be awesome uh, playing at Melbourne for the next few years. And I think it's going to be something special to come over the next two or three years as we build into a bit of more experience and a bit of an older team. Obviously, Marley, we're going to be watching out for you now that we know who you are. Um, of your Australian teammates in that ICC World Cup, who should we be looking out for? Who do you think is going to be a star of the future? I think there's going to be a lot of stars of the future. Um, Batting-wise, I think Harry Dixon's an incredible batsman, takes the game on, he's awesome to watch and super destructive. Um, I think the skipper, Hugh Wybgen, is an unbelievable batsman too. He constructs his innings incredibly and he's so reliable. 
And then I think our whole bowling attack is uh, going to be pretty fierce over the next few years. Cal Vidler's got awesome ball speed, can swing the ball. And uh, Tom Straker just doesn't miss the top of the stumps. He was unbelievable for us that whole tournament. So, And Charlie Anderson, so he swings it both ways as well. So I'd say to look out for the quicks, I think, definitely. And the two batsmen, I'd say, it would be our skipper Hugh Wybian and Harry Dixon. So you've also played an A-list match, which is usually, I'm, I'm presuming that means second 11 against New South Wales. How was that? Tell us about that experience and, and, and what that tells you about where you're at at the moment. Um, that was the uh, was a Marsh Cup game. I was lucky enough to go for one yep. uh, at Cricket Central um, a little while ago now, and that was unbelievable, yeah. I think it's such, we've been such a strong side over the last couple of years and such an unbelievable bowling attack for WA, so I didn't expect to break into that into that bowling attack, but the stars lined up and I got lucky and got an opportunity at that level. And I was, Yeah, I think that's the most confidence I've taken out of playing at any level, I think. It's playing against such incredible players and being thought of in the same realm as those guys. I think I took a lot of confidence out of that. And uh, once you get a taste of that level, you definitely want another one. So hopefully in the near future, there can be some sort of opportunity at, at that level because I'd love to try and play as much cricket as I could. So we're closing in on the end of summer at the moment. What's next for you? What do you do over winter uh, to get ready to be bigger and better to uh, attack the next um, season? Uh, I would be... Definitely going to be a big pre-season, I think. I've got a, got a lot of work in the gym that I can do to strengthen certain areas, just to hold better positions at the crease. And I think, yeah, working alongside Toby Horak uh, and Gus Alouvray, who's been at the whack of the physio and the strength conditioning coaches, there'll be a, be a lot of work there in the gym, I'd say. And then I'd just say breaking down my action, and there's a few little things that I'm trying to tweak at the moment, which are a lot easier to do in pre-season when you don't have games. So it's definitely going to be a big pre-season. But, yeah, I'd just say a lot of time in the gym and a lot of technical work in the nets. What's your uh, what's your best ball, would you say, at the moment? Um, my favourite ball would definitely be a bumper. bumper I love yeah. bowling a bouncer. You are a yeah. fast bowler, Marley. Thank you. <laughs> I love bowling a bouncer. <laughs> or... If I'm not trying to not trying to bowl a bouncer, I think I'd just love to hit the top of the stumps. Just kiss the bales would be probably the most rewarding ball, I reckon. I've got to ask you before I let you go. What were the what were the pitches like up at Dampier? Um, there's no pitches up in Dampier. It's all astroturf. Yep. <laughs> so it was uh, it was pretty rough there. But when I was down in Kawaram up, uh, there was a few good wickets down there. The Kawaram up uh, turf turf pitch and I have a couple of turf nets so I did a lot of work down there on turf and then when I moved up for the couple of years in Dampier I was on Astro turf for the two years which was pretty rough. Yeah no there's not a lot of uh, life in those pitches they tend to be um, pretty batsman friendly and the Rod Duggan you talk about I'm presuming that's Rod Duggan that was a star footballer for East Perth back in the 1970s. It is yes it is I actually didn't know Rod was a footballer for a long time probably about first year that I knew him I had no idea until uh, a friend came up a family friend came up and said the same thing he said the star footballer Rod Duggan so he's a very quietly spoken man and he's very humble so I didn't know that until the other day but yeah yeah he's a great athlete himself yeah next time you see him mate tell him number 16 for East Perth back in the 1970s very 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 good player Marley thank you so <laughs> much for thank you so much for um, enjoying, joining us on the show you clearly bring a lot of personality as, as well as a, a lot of pace and fire and uh, we look forward to following your progress over the next few years
Awesome. Thank you very much for having me, Mark. Really appreciate it. That's Marley Beardman. He was the player of the match in Australia's under-19 World Cup win over India in South Africa just recently. He's a very bright prospect. WA just keeps on rolling out the great quicks, and hopefully Marley will be another one of them in the years to come. We'll be back after the break. If you want to share your thoughts with us, you can text in on 0487 736 736. We'd love to hear from you also on the Bower and O'Day open line on 13 12 55. Bower and O'Day, because the little things are everything. Back after the news. To the younger kids, you know, to the grassroots, you know, we want to see them come from all over WA, not just from the city fringes. For us, it's important that we have the young minds in the club because they're going to be the next generation of this club. So I'm inviting the first 3,000 children under 16 to come along on, on me. Pretty much I'm paying for you guys to come. Thank you. Ross Polygra, the new owner of Perth Glory. Great initiative. The first 3,000 kids that come through the gate get in for free. Uh, it's a great way to build, I think, community impact. He talked about the importance of community in the build or the rebuild of Perth Glory as a, as a great sporting brand in our state. It is really important, I think, that all our big sporting clubs, whatever the code, whatever the sport, that they're all really strong on a national level. We don't get a lot of thought thrown our way from the national leagues when they uh, are looking at extra fixtures and big events and that sort of thing. So it's really important that I think just from our own entertainment perspective in Perth that all of our codes are really strong and really vibrant and we can go to any one of those and have a really good uh, time. It's, It's important for the sporting framework of Perth. What do you think? You can have your say. 0487 736 736 is the text line. The Barrow and O'Day open line is 13 12 55. Barrow and O'Day, because the little things are everything. We'll be back with more after the break. A little bit out of my hands, but um, look, I'd assume that he'll probably play some more minutes against Carlton, but that process will be a club process and an AFL one as well. And probably Goody and Richo will work closely um, with those, uh, with the AFL and, and what that looks like. Uh, but it was just great to see him perform and, and play well. It doesn't look like he's Mr. Beat. He's trained extremely hard when he's been away from the group. So he's put himself in a good condition to still be able to perform uh, once the season starts. Troy Chaplin, who, Hita, what is Troy Chaplin's position at Melbourne? He's the offensive coordinator. I find it offensive <laughs> that a Australian organisation... Yeah. Oh, sorry, I'm doing it too. As an Australian club calls a forward line coach an offensive coordinator. I didn't check if their back coach is the defensive coordinator, but you would assume so. Producing a lot of good content. Yeah. (laughs) That's the first time I've seen that, that he's considered the offensive coordinator. Forward line coach, Troy Chaplin. Um, (laughs) So on a more serious note, great to see um, Oliver progressing. Mm. Um, We hope that it goes well. I've always had a bit of a bugbear, though. If a player is really suffering in their personal life mm. and there seems to be this attitude in footy, oh, we've got to keep them involved in footy. This is the AFL. It's the most brutal and equalised elite sporting competition in Australia. Mm. Surely send them away, get them help, try and get them um, healthy again mm. and then try and bring them back into the AFL as opposed to, oh, we need to keep them involved. I'm I'm not sure that a ruthless environment, a ruthless elite sporting environment like the AFL 
is the best place for a person mm. who's, you know, battling off the field. I always felt it through the whole Ben Cousins thing. It, it was like there was this imperative that Ben had to stay involved. You know, Richmond picked him up. Oh, we need to do it for Ben. It's just like, why is this the best environment for a person going mm. through these sort of off-field issues? I'm just... Is, is that image and perception to be seen to be doing something to help and not being seen as washing their hands necessarily of? Well, you're not washing your hands. If you go and get them into a good facility mm. for whatever yep. they need, whether it's a mental health thing, whether it's a substance abuse thing, mm. um, you know, whatever it is, if you can find the right facility for them and make sure they get that help at that facility mm. and then be in a position to rejoin in elite football if and when they're ready, mm. I think you're not abandoning them. Are you? You're sort of actually doing doing the other thing, trying to do the thing that would seem to be best for them. Yeah. And there seems to be um, a bit of a grey area around his return to football at the moment. And if it has to be ticked off anywhere or... And well, interesting that there's AFL involvement. Yeah. That's that's what jumps it's off the page. nothing we know about. Yeah. yeah. That's nothing that has been confirmed or put on paper or anything like that. But See, if you remove them from the the environment, then they can quietly go and get the help mm. um, and just, you know, all these things would be massive privacy issues around them. They can go and do it. They can go and do it with their privacy mm. um, and then hopefully return when they're in a better space. Hopefully Clayton is in a good space and hopefully mm. he's ready to resume in round one because he's a great, great player. Yep. And uh, the, um, the football environment will be much poorer if he is absent. A positive start, 18 disposals, 13 contested possessions, five clearances, 94% disposal efficiency, and a goal in that uh, preseason match versus Richmond. So seven quarters. Yeah, so he must have played. I watched the first four when it was pretty much the AFL teams yep. or the nominal AFL teams. Obviously, Clayton easing his way into all of that, but um, he must have played after mm. the first four periods. Um <clears throat> Thought Melbourne looked pretty scratchy. Yeah, okay. I have to say mm. that may mean that it's all yet to come together. Mm. Um, Richmond, not sure about them. If yep. you know Tom Lynch isn't there and he wasn't there on the weekend, not sure whether they can climb significantly. Mm. So the fact they were able to bang on ten unanswered goals against Melbourne. I reckon Melbourne will want to be better next mm. next week. A few Tigers fans up and about on Twitter as well. I saw that. Um, Jason from Perth uh, saying, Morning, Duff and Heater. West Coast Eagles won't chase English. His girlfriend moved to Melbourne. He's not worth the 800K. Closer to 1 million per year he'd command. And also Dave uh, from Bunbury getting involved with a similar one saying, I hope the Eagles do not chase Tim English. I'd much rather that uh, keep that money for a midfielder in the coming seasons. Teams can win premierships with serviceable Ruckman. Eagles 2018 and Collingwood last year. Dave from Bunbury. Yeah, interesting thought. Um, there is a there is a thought as to how much you should commit out of your salary cap to a ruckman. I mean, Tim English is a class player. Mm. Um, you know, he's developed his centre square craft, which was probably the area he had to get better in. He's great around the ground. He can go forward and catch it. He's a good kick. Um, I think if Tim English was available as a free agent and West Coast weren't having a crack. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean they, they commit an unlimited amount or an unlimited period of time on a contract, but if they weren't at least having a crack, mm. I think you'd be questioning whether they were exploring all options to yeah. get better. If I'm West Coast, I'm certainly at, the least, phone call. Yeah. at least exploring <laughs> the free trade. The, free agent possibility that Tim English represents. Absolutely, to get him in. We've got a couple more to finish off with, Duff, but uh, let's see that last break. And then uh, we've got a couple here uh, on the cricket and also about trying to appear younger around the glories offer. So uh, we'll ask your advice for that one 
after the upcoming break. Yeah, it's difficult advice to give at 60 years of age, <laughs> but we'll take a break and we'll be back and we'll do our best after the break. They were the last team the Giants played. How important is it to kind of get the season going off the right way? Oh, I think it's really important. I mean, we hate Collingwood almost as much as we hate the Swans. So, you know, they're the perfect opponent for us in the opening round. We think the game will sell out. Um, and, and we just want to see a packed giant stadium and, and get a, get away with four points. So, yeah, it's a perfect start for us, we think. That's Giants Chief Executive and part-time boxing promoter <laughs> Dave Matthews. There's a bit of Don King about that. Yeah. <laughs> the rumble in the jungle. I just say keep the same energy during the season. You know, it's all good to talk about it now, but let's wait for round zero. I, I tell you what, I, one thing I will say, I reckon... GWS's performance against Collingwood in the preliminary final last year was the performance mm. of the finals. The AFL, through its scheduling wisdom, mm. in inverted commas, scheduled the Giants with four days between plane flights. So mm. they played their semi final in Adelaide. They flew back to Sydney. Four days later, they had to fly to Melbourne mm. to play Collingwood. They ended up with that mess because of the way they did the fixturing in the first week of the finals. <laughs> they got it wrong in the first week, yeah. and it flowed through until GWS very much got a dud deal in that preliminary final week. They nearly beat them. They had to go to the MCG and play in front of a packed house of Collingwood supporters to do it. They were so close, it wasn't funny for me. That was the performance of the mm. finals. Watch out for GWS this year. I think they'll be a very formidable team. I think the the early evidence is that Adam Kingsley is going to be a very good coach. Mm. Um, and they just, um, yeah, they've got a lot to offer. And hopefully there is a full stadium at Giant Stadium. Mm. And that, that would be a great way to, you know, it would make that whole opening round thing that the AFL's going on with worthwhile. Mm. If you could get full houses... Um, big games, um, get people talking about the game in those pioneer frontier states, um, that would be good. Is there still a spotless stadium out there? Giant stadium. Giant stadium, yeah. 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 So it is a big stadium too um, by how much they struggle to fill it, I would think. It's um, twenty about 24,000. Yeah, giant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is big. Uh, Sarcasm does not become you. <laughs> Greg from Les Murdy says, I tend to agree with Jason from Perth Tex on the Eagles passing on Tim English. When was the last time a team with a dominant Ruckman won a premiership? Uh, 2021, Max Gorn and yeah. Luke Jackson were pretty handy. Mm. So it's not the only way to win a flag. Yeah. You can do it without it. Obviously, Collingwood did it last year with Cox and um, uh, Cameron. Mm-hmm. Um, but, hey, mm. if, if you can get him, get him. And he's a free agent. Yeah. It's not like there's draft picks involved here. No. It's just salary cap money. Mm. And West Coast, at the state of their list build that they're, are, that they're at, they will have salary cap money. Should be about to shed uh, maybe a bit more. Uh, hey, guys, any thoughts on how to look younger so I can take up the glories offer of free tickets for under 16-year-olds asking for a friend? I think you better answer this one, Heater. <laughs> at my age, I'd have to look a lot, lot younger. Uh, a hat will help. Uh, I think a hat always helps. Uh, maybe a shave. What sort of hat? Uh, just a big hat. Big hat. Yeah, so you look smaller. <laughs> you got a big hat, you look smaller, so they'll think you're smaller. I think that's probably a good way to get in. But Ross seems like a fair man. I reckon he might uh, let you in, you know, if you're behaving yourself. And um, But it's a great initiative and uh, definitely a way to get people on side, well, even more on side than 
we already know because he's come in as the saviour of the Perth Glory. Yeah, I think it's great that he's taking a community-minded approach to it. I think yeah. they do have a lot of potential and a lot of upside Perth Glory, and I hope this is a turning point in the club's history because they kind of have just wandered along for a while. Um, and uh, obviously a very tough season for their players to have to play with that sort of uncertainty. Great show today. We had Eliza Riley on. We had Marley Beardman. What a good young talent oh, he is, eh? That was great. And, of course, Ben Smith uh, from the West Australian talking about the sale of Perth Glory. We'll be back with another show tomorrow on Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA.